Welcome to A Champion's Mind with your host, Mario Aroyave. Some say the sky's the limit. It isn't. The limit is in your mind. You believe that or else you would not be listening to this podcast. You believe that you could do more. You believe that you can perform at a higher level than you currently are. You are absolutely right. Thanks for being open-minded and allowing this podcast to help you develop a champion's mind. In this podcast, we'll discuss and hear about some mental strategies we can implement to help you achieve your utmost performance. If you feel like you're not performing at your true potential, this podcast will look to give you the keys that can open that lock. Hello and welcome to the Champions Mind podcast. Today we've got a really awesome interview for you. And so uh, our guest today is Heidi Armstrong. She's the founder of Injured Athletes Toolbox and Injury Recovery Coach. She's worked with informally with injured athletes for 11 years before embarking on some research with injured athletes and starting her business, the Injured Athletes Toolbox, in the year 2013. So Heidi, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm really happy to speak with you, Mario. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Tell us about the Injured Athletes Toolbox and how you help injured athletes. The best thing that I can equate what I do to that something somebody is already familiar with is life coaching specific to the needs of injured athletes, but it's really a lot more than that. So if I can distill it down in one sentence, I would say that I help injured athletes move from feeling frustrated, impatient, and angry to feeling optimistic, patient, and motivated by teaching them the essential tools for injury recovery. In addition to that, I also help people establish a proper care team so do they need a different physical therapist, a different orthopedic surgeon? Do they need to see an acupuncturist? And I help people prepare for doctor's appointments. So removing the emotional part of the interaction with the doctor and helping them prepare to get their questions answered and get them on the right track, starting their relationship with their physician or their physical therapist. And then I also teach people that are local in Austin swimming and cycling because that's what my background is in. Also, I've had clients that have had a bugger of a time with our insurance system. So what do I do when I get the $85,000 bill in the mail that I thought insurance covered? So I help people also navigate the insurance system. Wow, fantastic. That is, and, um, and we'll talk about it some more in the interview, but just a very holistic approach to just the entire injury process, which for a lot of people maybe doesn't, they don't have the vision or the viewpoint that it is, it does entail all of those different aspects. Yes. I basically brainstormed everything that I had helped people with informally over the course of more than a decade and turned those things that kept coming up over and over again into the services that I offer today. Fantastic. And so you kind of alluded to that a little bit there on the end of that last comment that you made, but go ahead and tell us what got you interested in working with injured athletes. Well, it's because the first time I got injured, I became a really, really angry and resentful and difficult to be around person. So I was a professional mountain bike racer at the time, had a bad crash, injured my knee, and fell into this pit of despair. So I basically lost my identity. I didn't know who I was without my bike, without my races, and I had an existential crisis. And I was normally a really easygoing person, and I got angry. 
angry at everything, angry at life, angry at the world, angry at people who did not deserve to be on the receiving end of my anger and frustration. And my best friend had an intervention with me one day. And I won't tell you the whole story, but I'll tell you it involved cassette tapes and paper towels and compulsive cleaning. (laughs) And she said to me, you need to get help. You cannot be this way for the rest of your injury. It's not healthy. And so I had nobody to, to turn to. I had nobody to speak with, nobody to get any guidance from. And I just decided, okay, well, I'm going to start with getting a psychotherapist because my head is not right. And I need to get my head right in order for my body to get better because your body follows your mind. And if your mind is in a ditch of despair, your body's never going to get better. So I did that. I found a different orthopedic surgeon, a different physical therapist. I worked with an acupuncturist and several other people to help get me out of my ditch of despair. And it took about probably a year for me to really, really turn my attitude around. And that's a year of intentional, dedicated, structured practice on the things that people were recommending that I do. So in the same way that we go out and train our bodies as athletes, we have to train our minds when we're injured and when we're not injured, frankly, which is what you do. But especially when we're injured, it gives us the structure that we need to get through an injury. So as I started to get better and better, the people that helped me get out of my ditch of despair started calling me and I would get calls and they would say, hey, Heidi, I have this patient and they're an injured athlete and I don't think they need psychotherapy right now, but they need to talk to someone else who's been in the hole and knows the way out. Can I connect them with you? And this happened over and over and over again for years. And then 2010, I had another even more catastrophic knee injury and ended up at a place called the Stedman Clinic in Vail, Colorado. So I fractured my knee and ended up with a very rare complication called arthrofibrosis, which basically means scarring of a joint, in my case, the knee. So where you have space in your knee, I have a scar. So I had to go to Colorado from Austin for treatment. And I was at the clinic and it's kind of like cheers in there. So I was sitting on an exercise bike between a Dallas Cowboys linebacker who had just had hip surgery and a guy who was 65. And I'm talking with them and I realized these guys could not be more different, completely different backgrounds, different interests, different levels within their sport. Yet they're using the same words to describe what they're going through. And I knew I was in for a lot of surgery. And so I decided that I wanted to turn my passion for helping injured athletes into a business. But before I did, I wanted to do some research. So I spent all of 2012 and thousands of hours speaking with hundreds of injured athletes. I wanted to uncover two things. What are the common words that injured athletes use to describe their suffering and the athletes that came through their injury with more resilience that said to me, my injury made me a better athlete and made me a better person. And even though it was painful physically and emotionally, I'm so glad that it happened to me. I wanted to find out what those people did differently in their day-to-day life that led them to this place of gratitude for their injury. And they seemed to not get defeated by their injury, whereas so many other people did. And so I took the results of my research, my many, many years of being injured and doing it, frankly, horribly wrong the first time, and then much, much better the second time. And I created Injured Athletes Toolbox to help other injured athletes hopefully not fall as far down the hole as I did. Yeah. I mean, that whole story and just how 
how you were able to use seemingly negative circumstances in terms of two pretty big deal kind of injuries to turn them around, kind of look at them a little bit differently and find out how you can help others. And with your business, it sounds like you've been able to do that for several people. And so you've got to, so one of the things just kind of in connecting with you and chatting with you a little bit, I mean, you've got a really cool little niche that you have uh, helping athletes. Obviously, you talked about it earlier, just navigating what I would say like a frustrating kind of maze where you're dealing with doctor's visits and the injury itself and the rehabilitation and then insurance on top of all of that. And so, and you've created your business in order to be able to do this for athletes and help them do it the best way possible. But uh, there's not a whole lot of people out there that are offering this kind of service like you. And so what would be your take on why this is the case? Why individuals such as yourself that do these kinds of things? I mean, why are you guys not very numerous? I think because it's human nature for people to run away from discomfort and to not embrace it and to not learn from it. Because frankly, it's opening the closet in your hallway that has so much stuff in it that when you open the door, it just bowls you over and knocks you to your knees. And I've taken the opportunity to look closely at myself during the course of my injury and become a better person for it. And I think in order to help other people out of the hole, you have to have been down there and know the way out yourself. And so there's this story that I love that I've actually put on the back of my brochure that's from one of my favorite TV shows, The West Wing. And it's a story of a guy who's walking down the street and he falls in a hole. And he's screaming from the bottom of this hole for someone to get him out. And a doctor walks by and he says, doctor, please, can you help me out of the hole? And the doctor looks down and he writes a prescription and throws it down in the hole and keeps on walking. Mm. And the guy's screaming and screaming for someone to let him out of the hole. And a rabbi walks by and he says, please, rabbi, can you help me out of this hole? And the rabbi looks down in the hole and he prays and then he walks on. And then the third guy comes up. And the guy in the bottom of the hole says, please, can you help me out of this hole? And the guy jumped into the hole with him and he said, what are you doing? Now there's two of us down here and how are we going to get out? And he said, I'm down here and I know the way out. And so it was the second guy jumping in the hole with the first guy that eventually got him out. And he knew the way out because he'd been down there before. And I don't think very many people take the opportunity to sit at the bottom of a black, black, dark, bleak hole and figure out how am I going to get out of here and then take the time to journal and write about what it took to get out of the hole so that they can learn and then teach others. And I think we all have an obligation as people that when we learn, we should teach. And so that's very much a part of who I am. And I learned so much from my injuries. And so now I want to teach, but I don't think a lot of people will lean into the discomfort. So that's why I think I believe I'm the only one who does what I do, but I think that's why. Yeah. Well, I think you hit on a pretty solid, pretty fundamental kind of psychological principle, sport, sports like principle for athletes. And that's, we have to have a good sense of self-awareness. We have to know who we are. And sometimes you've got to be able to face the music, uh, good, bad, or ugly. And like you said, I think a lot of people, they don't want to open that closet door because they know everything's going to come flying out at them. And, but that's what it takes. And so 
being able to take that on, even though you know that it's going to be hard work and you know that the road might be a little bit bumpy. I think one of the other things that you hit on that was great was, you know, that quote that gets you so much experience is the best teacher. And the fact that you've been able to go through these experiences and somebody is not necessarily reading a research article saying, yeah, if you do this, this and this, then, you know, research has shown. No, now we actually have somebody, like you said, that can get down in the hole with us that has been there and it creates this sense of kind of community and this support system and this relationship there that is so much more powerful than anything else that we can give in terms of practical advice or anything like that. And so, but obviously you've done the research, so you have the practical advice and you have the experience and you put those together. And it's a really great combination, especially when helping people deal with injury, because it is it is such a oftentimes debilitating kind of process and people feel so helpless in, in that moment. And so what if you had to give so you've researched a lot of common struggles with athletes and kind of you, you alluded to that earlier. What are some of these struggles that they face? The top four struggles that injured athletes face are disconnection. So disconnection both from their own body. Uh, they feel like their bodies let them down. And then disconnection from their social network. So their walking buddies, their running buddies, their cycling buddies, the people that they used to engage in their activity or sport with, they don't see them any longer. That's a whole separate issue of social isolation and why do your friends desert you? Uh, that's something else that I work with clients with all the time. The second thing is frustration. And I don't really need to go into details about that because anybody that's listening to this likely has been injured and... Uh, we all know it's very frustrating. And then impatience, which can lead people to making really bad decisions. So eh, I'm good enough. I'm going to go out and run again and test my ankle and see how it feels, which inevitably leads to a setback and a really vicious cycle. And then anger and sadness. And men tended to be more angry and women tend to be more sad. And at the heart of every injured athlete, we can find all of these things. And they may be under a different label. Uh, they may call them something else. But all of these things are, are veins that run through every single injured athlete. And these are things that I help clients navigate to overcome. Because ultimately, if we can't get past these things, our body will not heal. Fantastic. So looking at it from another angle, what would you define as success with an injured athlete or client? When athletes can capture the opportunity in injury, which sounds a bit trite, but every injury, I believe, is an opportunity to learn something about yourself as an athlete, as a human being. And if people can capture that opportunity and learn to live in, in a dimension other than just being an athlete, they will come back to me at some point and say, my injury was the best thing that ever happened to me. And to me, that's success. I, of course, have other objective ways that I measure success along the way. But in the big picture, when someone can come back and tell me, for example, I had a pro soccer player that I worked with, and he said, Heidi, before I got injured, I was a soccer player. And after my rehabilitation, I became an athlete. 
Perfect. Yeah, that I mean it, it's and for a lot of athletes, it's really, really hard. They find their identity in that because they spend so many hours and they dedicate so much and they sacrifice so much in terms of other things that they could be doing to be an athlete. And, you know, a lot of times it's uh, I would say that it's probably very similar to the mindset that goes with somebody who's looking to retire, be it. Sometimes they retire because of injury, right? But sometimes they just retire because of age and the fact that they've been involved in this and they're no longer able to keep up at whatever level they're at. They go through that identity, you know, kind of crisis and being able to handle that and realize that they are more than just that athlete, that they haven't always even been an athlete, that before they were that, they were just a person, a normal human being. And being able to get back to that and being okay with that is so important. It is. And I liken it to an airplane. So an airplane has a lot of redundancy and a lot of fault tolerance built into it. And so if one thing breaks, the plane doesn't crash. But as athletes, our entire identity and being in existence is often tied up in the sport or activity that we love. And there's no fault tolerance and there's no redundancy in living that way. And it's not sustainable. So when you get injured, the plane crashes. It crashes and burns. And so the opportunity in every injury is to learn to live in more than one dimension. So what can you do that's creative? What can you do from a social perspective that you haven't been able to focus on while you've been injured? And that's what I teach people. And that's what I work with people to do is to expand their life and expand their being. Because I believe we are all infinitely deep and infinitely wide, and we can do so many things as human beings, but as athletes, we just live in this one little dimension, and it is absolutely not sustainable. Yeah. Well, there you go. You said it twice. I was going to allude to the fact that you said it earlier, and then you said it again. Use the word sustainable, not sustainable. I just want to make sure that anybody listening to this, that we realize the career of an athlete, it's just not sustainable. We're just, we're not going to be able to perform at a certain level for the rest of our lives. And at some point that chapter of our life is going to be over. And so great truth that you put there that it's just, it's not sustainable. We've got to have, although in the moment when we're athletes, it's hard to have it. You do need to have it somewhere tucked away in the corner of your mind and be cognizant of the fact that at some point this gig is going to be over and we just can't sit around and cry about it because life goes on. And so Excellent point that you provide there. You talked some about it earlier, about the fact that you believe that the body and the mind are connected and that the body follows the mind. And so I just wanted you to kind of tease that out a bit further, talk a little bit more about that and your viewpoint on that. There's actually a lot of research on the mind-body connection that I won't get into, but anybody can Google it and look it up. So the research is there, and I see this over and over again in my practice, that I had a client who was a personal trainer and she had a chronic knee injury and she was frustrated. She was impatient. She missed training her clients. She missed working out herself. And the time that she used to spend working with clients and working out herself, she spent sitting around being angry and being frustrated and being sad. And so she had no structure to this time that she now had on her hands. And so 
she made bad choices. So she decided that she was going to go back to work before she was ready. And she ended up hurting her back because her knees couldn't handle the load. And she ended up doing things like going out and walking too far when her she knew that her knees couldn't handle it. And so her frustration and impatience and anger led her to make bad choices that defeated her body and then derailed her recovery and set her into a setback. And then that was just a cycle that continued over and over and over again. And it wasn't until she started working with me that we could put into place a daily mental training routine where she could intentionally use her time to keep her mind on track and productive and frankly healing some of the stress and anxiety that she had over her injury, that her body started to get better. So the structure and the mental training made her body better because she started making better choices. She wasn't making decisions based on frustration and anger. If you make if you make movement decisions or exercise decisions based on frustration and anger, you will get injured further or you will get injured if you're not injured now. Right. Awesome. Well, then kind of Tied to that, uh, you've talked about some common, so in your research, you saw some common recipes, if you will, for success, or frankly, for an athlete, like you said, with that gentleman that was a soccer player, you know, that actually come out on the other side of that injury, and they're actually more resilient, they're better, they're more complete than they were even before they were injured, and maybe even performing at a much higher level in their particular sport. And so I wanted to ask you, what are some common recipes for success when dealing with injury and rehabilitation and all of that? The first thing these people did was they took the time that was in their schedule because they weren't going to practice, they weren't working out. They made a choice about their time. Were they going to sit around and perseverate and be pissed off and angry, or were they going to use that time productively to rebuild their mind and then their body when they were ready? So they had some really specific practices. So the first thing that I heard over and over was that they never used the word should and could. So I should be able to, or I should do this, and I could do this if I didn't have that. So they never used those words because they found those words to be demoralizing and denigrating. They just extinguished those words from their vocabulary. The end. I mean, it was as simple as that. They had some intentional writing practices. So there's a lot of data on data and research on the benefits of therapeutic writing, but there was one type of writing in particular that they did. It's completely natural for anybody that's going through a challenge or anybody who's injured to feel frustrated, to feel angry, to feel impatient, to have thoughts that are less than compassionate toward oneself. And so these people found a really, really effective way that worked for them of taking the mental trash out is what I call it. So they spent time every day where they gave themselves permission to feel sorry for themselves, to feel angry, to feel frustrated, to feel pissed off, to feel jealous of their friends that could do the things that they couldn't. And a lot of them wrote. So they just would set a timer for 10 or 15 minutes and they would start writing. And if they wrote, I hate my injury a hundred times, like you used to do when you were a kid and you got punished in school and the teacher <laughs> called you up to the board to write over and over. So be it. But they would spend that time getting all their frustration out on a piece of paper. And then when they were finished, they would either 
burn the paper, shred the paper, throw it away. They would do something to symbolically take the trash out. And also during that time, if they wanted to scream and yell on a pillow or hit a punching bag or whatever, but they got these thoughts out of their head because if you can't get your frustration and anger out, it will just poison your recovery. So they had a daily practice of doing that. The other thing they did was they had someone that I call a label reader. So when you're injured, you're in a bottle. And when you're in a bottle, guess what? You can't read the label. And so that can lead you to make really, really bad decisions. And so they had someone in their life who told them the truth, and they listened to that person. So someone who could say, hey, you know what? You're not doing very well right now. I think maybe you should see a psychotherapist. I'm worried that you might be depressed. And they listened to that person, and they took action. So there was no denial. They just trusted that other person to have their back. They use their energy wisely, and they believed that their mind was their sharpest weapon. And so they were going to take time to hone their mind while they were injured. And so some of the things that they did were they celebrated progress, even if it's just a little bit of progress. So I worked with a guy who was a martial artist, and he couldn't walk. He actually has what I have, but he couldn't walk when he came to me. But you know what? That guy celebrated when he could sit in a chair and his knee didn't get hot. And it was a far cry from being in the ring in a martial arts fight, but he celebrated that progress. And that positive reinforcement kept him going along the way. And the other thing that people did to sharpen their minds is the whole fake it until you make it thing. So restructuring the time on your hands after an injury is kind of like drudgery because You're not used to sitting down and writing. You're not used to yoga on the floor. And God forbid you take an athlete and tell them to start meditating. I mean, what (laughs) happens, right? It's just not pretty. But they showed up to do these things to help their mind every day, just like they would show up to their practice, just like they would work out like their coach had instructed them to do. So they used that same focus that they had for their sport and refocused it on training their mind. But they really had to fake it until it became evident that that mental training routine had some benefit. And often that would take two to three weeks, but they just kept showing up. They had exceptional fake it until you make it skills. I love it. Yeah. So two things here that I want to point out. Number one is so the athlete, before they get injured, they've got they're watching their diet right. They're getting the right amount of sleep. They're doing what coach is asking them to do. They're doing all these workouts and all this stuff. They've got a plan. Right. And then the injury hits. And for most athletes, injury hits. No more plan. So there's not really any like you said, you talked about structure. There's not really any structure oh, now I'm injured, so I used to be at practice at this time, but I'm not. What am I going to do? Well, maybe today I'll do this. Well, tomorrow, eh, you know, that that sounds fine. And the problem is, and I've seen this in my background in education, the worst thing you can do is not give the student something to do, right? Because if you don't and they're just sitting there and they don't have anything to do, they're going to find something to do. And a lot of times that's where we have our discipline issues with students in classrooms. It's like, okay, so, you know, Johnny didn't have anything to do, so he just watered up a piece of paper and he threw it at Sally. Yeah. All of a sudden now I've got to go deal with this issue. And so 
I like how you, boom, we've got an injury. They come to you. Okay, guys, we've got a plan. Let's stick to a plan. The way to get rid of a bad habit is to replace it with a good habit. Or the way to get rid of a bad thought is to replace it with a good thought. And so you intentionally work with with these athletes to replace negative things with positive things. And then the other thing that I love that you talked about that you do with them is you allow them in a very healthy way to let out the negativity and the stuff that's inside of them and you let them express that in some very real and tangible ways. And so, man, there are some that would say that you should never have a negative thought. You should never experience negative emotion. You should never get angry. You should never be depressed. You should never be sad or what have you. And the fact that we're going, okay, guys, we know that you're going to be dealing with these kinds of emotions because you and your experience, I've seen it a thousand times. So get ready. It's coming. But here's the deal. When it gets here, here's how we're going to deal with it. And we're going to deal with it in a very positive way. And I love how you say that they shred it or they crumble it up and throw it away or they burn it. Essentially just saying it was here. It's no longer here. That doesn't mean that tomorrow I've got to sit down and journal again and maybe even write down the same exact things. But that's okay, right? And then giving them a set start and stop time for that where we're going to allow ourselves to do this, but we're going to be done with it. And once we're done with it, we get back to doing the other things that are quote unquote more positive. Not that they are, but to the outsider, they would seem to be more positive, right? Because let's face it, for an injured athlete, the best part of their day might be being able to write on a piece of paper all of these negative things that they're feeling. That might be the highlight of their day because maybe after that they feel so much better than they do when maybe they're having their accountability time with their trusted friend. And so, yeah, I love that. I love how you you give them a game plan, obviously, to be able to deal with that. And so we all have to have outlets. And to that end, uh, can we take a little time out to talk a little bit about the nervous system? And, sure. and how I help people understand how their nervous system works and how to work with it. Uh, because this follows in with some questions that I'm sure you'll ask down the road. So I like to teach everyone a little bit about their nervous system. So we have our sympathetic nervous system, which is the part of our nervous system that's responsible for fight or flight. It's responsible for releasing adrenaline. It's responsible for increasing our heart rate. So When you're injured and you're angry or you're frustrated or you're anxious, you feel like there are hungry tigers chasing you, but you turn around and guess what? There are actually no hungry tigers, but your body is reacting like there are. That's your sympathetic nervous system that's telling you, get on this roller coaster and buckle up and we're going for a ride and I'm not sure when we're getting off. And so... The flip side of that is our parasympathetic nervous system, which controls the involuntary parts of our being. So our digestion, our breathing, our heartbeat, things like that. It's also the part of our nervous system that's responsible for calming and for lowering our heart rate. And so it's important for people to understand how their nervous system works, especially when they're injured or they're going through something stressful, because a lot of what I do with injured athletes and the time that I help them structure is with things that help turn off the sympathetic nervous system and turn on the parasympathetic nervous system. So it's kind of like every person has to learn how to play their nervous system like an instrument instead of their nervous system playing them. Wow. Yeah. So taking control of it, right? Yeah. And being able to 
obviously the mind is the hub for that being able to take place, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Again, just alluding to the power of the mind. And once again, as we talked about that connection and how it just the mind plays such a vital role in even what people are like, what healing muscle tissue, like all these kinds of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause you know, what, once we can get our body out of fight or flight, it has a better opportunity to heal. Because fight or flight is not heal. There's nothing healing about that chemistry in your body. But if you can turn that off and get your mind into a better state, you can calm down. You can make better decisions. Your body can heal. Absolutely. And we don't have the time to get into the physiology of all of that, but absolutely right. You talked about chemistry and the fact that fight or flight, there's some chemicals running around there that we definitely kind of don't want around if we're actually going to heal from an injury. And so we want to make sure that our body is kind of devoid of those kinds of chemicals, obviously, because they're working against what we're trying to do in healing the body and a particular injury site. And so what would you say an athlete needs to have in place for a successful recovery? I would say first an understanding of what I just talked about regarding the nervous system. And second is help. And I went through a whole period of time where I just did not want to ask for help because as human beings were independent, as athletes were fiercely independent. And I had a friend come bring me food after one of my surgeries and I said, I just really don't like asking for help. And she sat down next to me and she said, Heidi, you like helping your friends, right? And I said, well, of course I do. When my friends need something, I'm there to help. And it, I really like helping my friends. It brings me a lot of joy. And she said, well, your friends like helping you too. And when you don't allow them to help you, you steal their joy. Mm-hmm. So stop stealing your friend's joy. And I thought, I get it. I finally get it. And so... It's important for us to ask for and accept help. And I think that's where true connection comes in life is when we're vulnerable, when we're broken down. Uh, You can have a great conversation on a bike ride, but you want to have a real conversation about real stuff. Do it when someone's going through a tough time. So asking for help. The next thing is structure in their day. And... They must have, in the same way that an athlete has practice from 2.30 to 3.30 in the afternoon, and they go through certain drills and progressions in their practice, and the same way that they work out physically, they must work out mentally and emotionally while they're injured. And this is how they can evolve, they can become better athletes, they can become better people, and they can ultimately look back at their injury and say, you know what, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And that structure is so, so very important because if you don't have structure, your mind's not on track. You end up in a ditch of despair. You get angry, you get pissed, you get jealous, you get resentful, you get all those things. And so that's something that I work with all of my clients to do. It's very, very important. Yeah, gotcha. We do it all the time. The whole double standard thing. I love the example that you provide about your friends. We like helping you. You know, do you like helping people? Oh, yeah, I love I love helping people, you know, but then when you're the one that needs the help, all of a sudden you're somehow seeing that as a different 
animal altogether and you're going, I don't want to ask for help, but man, if it was my teammate, I would love to help them, right? And so that whole double standard that we apply to ourselves, and it's not just an injury that we do that. I mean, we tend to do that even when we make a mistake in competition, you know, if a performance doesn't go well and you somehow do something wrong in a critical moment of a game, you if your teammate does that, then you wrap your arm around that teammate and go, hey, it's okay, we'll get him next time. But the fact that you did it, your teammates are coming over, giving you the same response that you'd provide for them. You're you're almost wanting to throw that arm off of them and go think so it's the same thing with the injury when you need that help and you're hesitant to ask for it but at the same time if your teammate was injured man you'd be there and you'd be helping them out and doing whatever you could and so again just a, an awareness of the fact that we need the help i think like you said is huge and tied to that is the fact that you're like you're saying if we know that we need the help then we know that that's kind of part of the whole puzzle here where then if we know that we need help, if, if I know that I need you to come over and drive me somewhere because I can't use that leg to be able to drive myself to my doctor's appointment and I'm willing to ask you for that help, I just realized something. If I can't even drive a car, then I'm not going running that afternoon. And so tied to, being, tied to being aware of the fact that, hey, like, okay, I couldn't drive myself to the doctor. So this isn't going to happen either. Yeah, so probably see, I shouldn't go run that errand this afternoon and go to Right, exactly. And it's crazy because when we don't ask for help, we go, well, I'm going to drive myself to the doctor. And then you do it, and you, or at least you try, and then you go, oh, that means I'm probably ready to go for a run. And then, like you said, it all, like you talked about with that young lady that hurt her back by going back to work too early, it all starts to spiral. And then, and then maybe we even, now maybe even we pack another injury on top of the one we already have, and it just starts getting really, really messy. And so... You know, once again, hinting on self-awareness, just so important. It's self-awareness, and then you also mentioned something, which is self-compassion, and oh, how we lack compassion for our own selves. And I often tell my clients, would you just say to someone you really love what you just said to me about yourself? And they'll stop and say, no, I would never say that to anybody. And I'll say, well, why are you saying that to yourself? Why are you calling yourself worthless? Why are you calling yourself broken? Because your mind believes those words. And those words get into your being, they get into your life, and they get into you, and they will affect your recovery. Absolutely. Yeah, so... Whew, that's a big one. We definitely struggle with that. All of us struggle with that on, on a very real level, probably daily. And so let's talk about recovery. And so we're talking about the fact that mentally, the mental blow of an injury is just about as equally as important as like physical rehab. And so I, I want you to kind of walk us through where do you feel that recovery from an injury actually ends? Like, is there an end to this process? When is it? What can we look for to know that we're getting there? Just any of those helpful things that you can give us. What we learn from injury is hopefully how to live a more balanced life, how to live in more than one dimension. And then we learn tools that we can apply to any life challenge. And just as something like yoga or meditation or even your sport is a practice, I believe that the tools that you learn while you're injured are things that you should always continue to practice because you want those tools to be available to you at any point when you have a challenge and life will always serve you challenges. So a guy that I met at the Sedman clinic who is a professional soccer player, he adopted some really specific 
mental training items that he incorporated in his day-to-day life. And when he returned to the field, he still did those things. So he began to practice yoga while he was injured. And first it was on the floor, but then his practice evolved. And he found that that flexibility and the balance that he gained from yoga actually made him a better soccer player. He started meditating and that made him a better soccer player. Furthermore, those two things, when he had other life challenges, helped him cope with those things. He did some specific journaling. So he had his frustrations. He kept track of his progress in another journal. And he had a journal that he put things that made him happy. So you could call it a gratitude journal or anything you want. But he kept that practice going long after he returned to the field. And so to answer your question, that was a really long answer, but I don't think recovery ever ends because recovery is a practice. It's an evolving practice. While you were talking, I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, like I'm getting this idea in my head that having an injury is a small snapshot of the rest of your life. And some of the things that you learn and some of the things that you, some of the experience and some of the wisdom that you gain from being injured is just stuff that you should just continue to do the rest of your life because good times or bad times, there's still good, healthy habits that you are forming and good practices that you're forming that are going to continue to help you whenever you face adversity again. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an injury or even when things are going well, it's just good stuff to do to to keep your mind on track and to keep your mind in a healthy state. And so Yeah, I just, I I was like, man, like an injury is like a a good little training ground for us to to be able to continue to move on after the injury and to be able to, so I I like how you say, yeah, the the rehab or recovery, I'm sorry, you may be physically recovered from your injury, but the better ideal or the better vision to have is that, okay, like my leg might be better, but hey, these things that I was able to do while I was injured, I really liked them. I really liked the yoga, really liked the meditation. And so let's just keep carrying these along with me and let me continue to do these things on a consistent basis and realizing that those things have application in areas outside of the injury or of being injured. And so fantastic. What what I tell people is when you're injured, you learn tools that you can use for the rest of your life for any life challenge. So it's the learn once, use forever type of concept. Yeah, perfect. So Speaking of learn once, use forever, what happens if an athlete is dealing with recurring injuries? So this thing, this particular injury continues to happen. How is that different on the mindset front uh, from just maybe dealing with it one and done? And so can you kind of walk us through what that would be there or what the process would be for that? Well, I would divide this into two different categories. One is the recurring nagging injury, and one would be a recurring acute or major injury, different probably than the first one. So what comes to mind for me here is, as a cyclist, a broken collarbone. So someone could break a collarbone one season and then break a collarbone the next season, with the two injuries being completely unrelated. So let's talk first about the recurring nagging injury. So that would be maybe like a tendonitis or a tendinosis or a knee pain that just kind of comes and goes. I think in an effort fueled by the frustration, the disconnection, the impatience, the anger, the sadness, that when we have nagging recurring injuries, we often, let's liken it to a fire. So 
the injury is a fire burning, and we often don't let that fire cool all the way down before we return to our sport. So we'll let it cool down so there are some glowing embers on the fire, and then we'll return to our sport, and then all of a sudden there's a raging fire or that injury is back again. And what we really need to do is find a way to train our mind so that we can gain the patience and the focus we need to let that injury really heal and to let the embers die all the way down before we return to our sport. So that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is the recurring major injury. So I had mentioned collarbone fractures one season after another. And I think that we have to take a look at what did we learn the first time we were injured? And I know that athletes tend not to be woo-woo, and frankly, I'm not either, but I've seen this play out in my practice with my clients and my own life, and that every time we have a life challenge or we're injured, I believe there is something that we are supposed to learn about ourselves, about the world, about the way that we relate to the world, and that if we do not lean into the discomfort and learn whatever it is we're supposed to learn, the volume will just keep getting louder and louder until we learn. And so I think that injuries and major injuries can sometimes reoccur until it, until we've learned whatever it is that we're supposed to learn. Um, there's also a component in there about what kind of risk are you taking and what are your skills that you are relying on to carry you through that risky situation? And maybe are your skills not up to par? There's something that you can work on. So in a bike race, are your bike handling skills poor? Are you positioning yourself not properly in the pack? If it's a skiing injury, do you have some weaknesses and something you need to work on in your balance that will keep you from getting injured? So there are multiple things to look at for major recurring injuries, but I think we definitely need to take the opportunity in every injury and learn whatever it is we're supposed to learn. Awesome. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're a coach, you probably just want to camp out right here, right? And you want to make sure that you play this for your athletes. Man, the nagging injury. Wow. So many times, right? We get as an athlete, we really do. We become impatient. You talked about impatient being one of those emotions of being injured and we become impatient and we come back too early. It might just be a day too early. It might just be two days too early, or we may come back to intensity a little bit earlier than we should have. But all of a sudden, boom, we're right back being injured. And it just gets so frustrating. And we're thinking to ourselves, what happened? I was better. I did my treatment. I I was doing this. I was doing that. And we get blinded to the fact that we didn't have the patience to allow that fire, like you said, to completely cool down. In my experience with athletes, I always tell them, listen, I coach some cyclists and I say, listen, do me a favor. Let's just spin easy for this next week. Just real easy. Go do coffee shop ride. And they're like, well, by, and it's Monday. And they're like, by Thursday. Hey, coach, I think I'm ready to maybe do some threshold work, which is kind of higher end, harder intensity stuff. And I'm going, no, please, no, let's not do that. Because if we do that, then yeah, we might feel good today, but then you don't feel good tomorrow. And then that's another three days off. So now we're looking at Monday as our first day of maybe being able to test out this injury again versus, hey, by Saturday, we would have been good. And it happens so much in the nagging injuries because, again, the athlete liked that patience. And I think, and, and then to go with the other one, the more kind of, quote unquote, catastrophic injury, it really is a good time to self-reflect and go, is there a reason why this is happening over and over again? I mean, is there something 
going on here? I mean, I'll, I'll use your example, and I'm in the cycling arena, and I still compete and such, and so I know if a guy's breaking a collarbone over and over and over again, number one, you have to crash to break a collarbone, so that's number one. And so I'm going, all right, so he's obviously crashing a lot. Okay, check. Why is that athlete crashing a lot? And like you said, I think sometimes bike handling skills can be an issue. Sometimes positioning in the pack can be an issue. And so really taking a step back and going, okay, what skills can I work on? And once I come out of this injury, what am I going to do to not put myself in a position to where I fracture my collarbone again? And having the, again, (laughs) buzzword, self-awareness to be able to look at that and be able to go, yeah, you know, those are some things I need to work on. And so, but I know that coaches will probably love you for that little chat you gave us on recurring injury because it's frustrating when it's not only frustrating for the athlete, but it's frustrating for coaches as well when we've got athletes coming in and out and they just can't seem to consistently stay healthy. And I think it has, like we've said, I think it has a lot to do with the mind and maybe sometimes a lot less to do with physiology than we might think. It it has so much to do with the mind. They want to get back to their sport because they want to feel whole again. They want to get back to having a whole identity. Like I said before, it's an existential crisis when you can't move in the way that you want to move, when you can't go to practice, when you can't train. And so athletes will throw out all the progress they've made because they're good enough because they just want to get back to feeling like themselves again. Right. Yeah. So you talked, you alluded a little bit earlier about balance. And so during recovery, sticking with the recovery process here, you're trying to help an athlete find some balance there, right? What does that look like? The balance initially looks like structure. And the really cool thing is that every athlete has focus, they have drive, And if they didn't have those things, they wouldn't be an athlete. And so I see my role as helping every athlete refocus their focus onto their mental training. And practicing their mental training routine will ultimately lead to balance. And to me, balance as a human being. We go into injury usually completely out of balance. We are an athlete and we're not really much else. And so the injury becomes an opportunity to become more balanced. And so by taking the time that injury provides an athlete when they're injured and coming up with a mental training plan with me, that structure, just like their physical training will ultimately provide balance, will make them a more well-rounded human being and ultimately a better athlete. And the nifty thing is usually if you're an athlete at a certain level, you don't have time to ever rebuild your game. And you don't have time, like let's say if you're a swimmer and you're constantly training all the time, You spend very little of your time working on strokes and breaking down strokes and working on technique. But if you end up with a shoulder injury, well, you have to rebuild everything. And guess what? That's an opportunity Mm. for you to eliminate some of the bad habits you may have had. And so bad habits mentally and it's bad habits physically. So the structure leads to balance, which carries over into retraining and training and making that person a better athlete. It's all interconnected. 
Let's talk about support system here. And so obviously you have alluded to it a little bit previously with friends and teammates and such like that, but let's talk specifically about it. How important do you feel that a support system is when an athlete is dealing with an injury and specifically what would a support system look like? A support system is so, so very important. And the support system has lots of different members. And I think you need to have someone who can be a label reader for you. So that friend that can be really, really honest and tell you things that are hard for you to hear, but that you'll listen to. Like, I think you're not doing well right now. I think you need some more help or I've seen you fall into a hole for the past day or two. Let's agree on a a day that, by which if you're not better that you get some professional help or somebody that can tell you the hard stuff. So, and that person is super, super important. I think uh, probably more important than anybody else. And then secondary to that, I think it's important to have people who have earned the right to hear your story. So, These are people that are compassionate, that will actually listen and that won't necessarily tell you what to do, but they will just listen to you. Mm, So you have your compassionate and your empathetic friends. And then I think it's important to have friends that make you laugh and friends that make you smile. And I say friends, it could be family members, but people that make you feel joyful. And I think If somebody is lucky to have a combination of all those people, they've hit a support system home run. But if they only have one of those people, I think that's okay, too. And a lot of my clients don't have a great support system, but they have that one person. And if we can just have that one person that can be a lifeline for us, then that person can be like the person that jumps in the hole and helps us out because they've been down there before. And we cannot get through injury alone, nor are we designed as human beings to get through a challenge like injury alone. And so there are no bonus points for sucking it up. And there are no bonus points and pats on the back for trying to do it all yourself. In fact, I would argue there are stupid points for that. But that's part of learning how to deal with an injury and how to deal with it gracefully. Because You can wrestle it to the ground and it's going to give you two black eyes or you can dance with it gracefully. And one of the things that we can do to help ourselves in the grace area is to ask for help and to have a support system. Because one day you are going to help the person that helped you. That's simply how life works, guaranteed. Yeah, absolutely. Admitting, yeah, I I love it. Just admitting it, right? Admitting it to yourself that you do need help. And that there are people around that are willing to help you, that want to help you. And so, perfect. So how can your friends, your coaches, teammates, and family, how can they properly support the injured athlete or their friend or their family member? So how does that all work? I've written a really good blog about this on my website, which is InjuredAthletesToolbox.com, and it's called How to Be a Good Friend to the Injured Athletes in Your Life. For those of you who want a more complete answer to this question. Number one is 
if you are that person's training buddy or training friend, don't just talk about training when you're around them because they don't want to hear it. Talk about other things. Talk about what brought you joy as a kid or what made that person smile today. Uh, ask open-ended questions, but don't ask questions like, when can you run again? Or why are you still on crutches? Or yeah. don't say things like, I understand or I know what you're going through because at the end of the day, we can't ever understand what somebody else is going through. The only thing that we can do is hold space and be there for that person. And so when you're talking to them, say to them, how can I best support you now? What is it you need to be supported? And ask questions about other parts of your life outside of sport. And it's, it'll probably be a struggle at first, but... Uh, once you get going, it's really interesting to get to know people on different levels. So I got to know some of my friends on a much deeper level when I was injured because we couldn't talk about swimming or cycling. We talked about all kinds of other stuff. And the other thing is ask what your friend needs help with, but ask the right way. And so the wrong way is, hey, I'm here for you. If you need anything, just let me know. Or is there anything I can help you with right now? If you ask questions like that, you're probably going to get the Heisman. The best way to do it is to say something like, hey, I'm going to the grocery store. I want to pick up some stuff for you. What can I get? Or I know you need some help right now. Can you tell me two things that you need help with this week? Or... If the person has a dog, oftentimes the dog won't get enough exercise if the dog's owner is injured. So, hey, can I come over and take your dog on a field trip today? Can I take your dog on a walk? Or I'd love to bring you dinner tonight. What can I bring you? Or housekeeping and cleaning is another thing that tends to go by the wayside. Hey, I'd like to come over and do a couple loads of your laundry. Or can you pick two rooms of your house to clean? So give them something concrete that you want to help with instead of just saying, hey, I'm here to help you, or what do you need help with? You're much yeah. likely to get a better response from that. And then I think the most important thing is injuries that don't heal quickly, that tend to be more chronic or have longer recoveries, I found that we have about a three-week attention span, and then after that, the person that's injured gets forgotten. And so keep checking in with your friend beyond three weeks, beyond four weeks, because that's when the rest of the world fades away. And you don't want to be that friend or that coach or that family member that fades away and just says, I haven't heard from them. They're, they're probably fine. Keep checking in with that person. Go over, rent a movie, bring the party to them if they can't go out. But don't let them just fall by the wayside because you think they're fine, because they will eventually just fall further and further into disconnection. Perfect. Yeah, I think support system, I would say the main gist of what you're saying there is take initiative. Just take initiative. Yeah. You don't give it a second thought. Just go do something. Say something. Obviously, you gave us some key key things to say there. And I, and I like how you said don't ask just really vague, open-ended questions. Be very specific. Or better yet, just go, hey, I'm going to the store and I'm going to pick up this for you or whatever. But yeah, just... Basically, take an initiative. I like that. And one of the things that I struggle with is uh, when 
a friend of mine has somebody pass away or somebody in my family passes away and I need to call relatives, man, that conversation for me just because, and it's almost instinctive for us to say, I know what it's like, or you try and do something like that because you feel that that's going to be what's most comforting. And a lot of times that's what makes maybe the injured athlete's hair stand up on the back of their neck. They're like, no, 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 you, you don't understand. You've never blown your knee out. So don't come to me with that. Right. So it's like, what do you say in those moments is just be very astute, I guess, to how they're feeling and know what they're feeling and then being able to respond appropriately. And so, yeah, again, if you jump on her website there, she's got a good blog post there where you can read about that because like you said, at some point, we're going to have to help others, right? And it just kind of goes full circle. And if you're on a team, then you're going to have an injured teammate at some point. And so being ready for this before it actually gets to you and actually knocks on your doorstep where you can go help somebody out, knowing what to do in those situations would uh, would be good. Yeah. So, so I say be the help that you deserve to receive someday. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. Absolutely. So do you have any thoughts for somebody who might be listening that's currently recovering from an injury? Don't do it alone because you don't have to and you're not alone. And injured athletes train for their sport, but they're more or less forced to show up to an injury without any training at all. And they're lost and they're alone. And so reach out to me and I can help you get through this by creating some structure in your day, by helping you navigate some of the other pitfalls. But by all means, please don't do it alone. If you happen to have an intense amount of motivation and focus and structure and you want to try to do it alone, I would say you need to schedule out your day. The time that you use for training, put appointments on your calendar and things that you are going to do during that time that will be productive for your mind and that will train your mind. And I have lots and lots of information on my website as well as the results of my research. And you can go under all of, for someone who's feeling motivated and they would like to do this on their own. If you go to my website on the Sound Familiar page, you will find the four most common struggles that injured athletes face and how to overcome each struggle. And then on the Road Back page, you will find the common recipes for success that I uncovered in my research and how to follow them. And so my recommendation would be to go to those pages on my website and create your own mental training plan, but you have to adhere to it with the same religion that you adhere to your physical training plan. And so that's why you are so adamant about kind of, hey, I would strongly recommend you not doing this by yourself. If you feel motivated and you feel up for the challenge, I guess, of of doing it on your own, then you gave them some resources that they could use. But the problem is, is that when it's a one-sided thing, when it's just you doing it, like you said, you don't have the label reader. Yeah. And you 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 don't don't have have any accountability either. Right. So yeah, I've structured out my day, but nobody really knows what you're doing. And so therefore, eh, it kind of slips by the wayside one day. 
nobody's going to call you on it. Nobody really knows if you're kind of shutting yourself out as well, where you're not getting in contact with other people. There might not be that person that might come up to you and say, man, you're really not doing very well. I mean, I, I really kind of am a little bit concerned for you. I really think you should go and enlist some some professional help because it sounds maybe it sounds like you're getting depressed. It looks like you're getting depressed. And so if you're going about it alone, you don't have that. I guess I call it like a safety check, yep. you know, to be able to just. Hey, here's the deal. I really feel that this would be in your best interest to do that. And so if you guys, anybody listening, if you guys have people like Heidi was talking about that have these qualities of empathy and they're people that you trust, then I would strongly recommend and they would probably really value it from you as well. I mean, if you I know that if somebody came to me and they said, man, I'm really dealing with this injury, Mario, I would love for you to walk alongside me during this process as I recover. I would feel honored that that person saw me as the person that they would want to kind of kind of take me along with them into that hole and help them get out of it. And so if you've got people like that, reach out to them. Maybe they don't know what you're dealing with. And so therefore, maybe that's why they haven't approached you. But if you approach them with sincerity and say, I really want you to help me with this, and they are the people of the characteristics that we've talked about a little bit earlier here, then they're going to say, yeah, let's do this, right? Like I'll journey with you. Let's go ahead and get that done. And so... Yeah. What would you say is the most important injury recovery tool that you think every injured athlete requires that they should have? In one word, creativity. And I'll go on to explain that in a minute. In my research, far and away, the most common recipe for success for the athletes that were thankful for their injury was practicing creativity. And by creativity, I've broadened my definition, and I mean that creativity is doing something you don't normally do. And so it doesn't have to be picking up a paintbrush and painting, although it could be, but it's doing things like brainstorming what brought you joy as a child and doing some of those things and brainstorming all the things that you've wanted to do in your life that you haven't had time to because you've been training or traveling with your team or what have you and doing some of those things. And for instance, getting a camera and using it on manual. So truly learn about photography and get immersed in lenses and the physics of photography, because you know what? What we focus on grows, and it is completely impossible to focus on being pissed off and angry when you're looking through the lens of a camera at something beautiful. And creativity is the quintessential way to turn off your fight-or-flight response and to have your parasympathetic or your the calming part of your nervous system take over. It will shut off the anger that you have the frustration that you have, the jealousy that you have, you just have to show up and practice it. And I also have a blog on my website, again, it's Injured Athletes Toolbox, and it's about creativity. And I call the blog Coping with Injury, What's Your Most Important Tool? So you can read more about how to brainstorm what might suit you in terms of a creative outlet and then how to get started doing that. Awesome. Yeah. So jump on there and check out that post and uh, get creative. And like she said, think think outside the box. 
and learn something about yourself, right? Learn something about yourself that you didn't know through the injury, like you've talked about, allowing the injury, allowing this particular period of your life to be a period of reflection and a period of understanding yourself a little bit more and other people a little bit more and just allowing it to be a very enriching experience that you can look back on later and say, in a very weird way, people wouldn't understand, but going, you know what? That was the best thing that's ever happened to me. Like your story, those two injuries, wow. I own a business now because of this. I'm helping people because of this. And so looking back on it and going, it wasn't that bad. All right. All, looking all back and be- saying I made it. I did it. Yeah. Yeah. So to end on that, I think that's a really interesting point as well. Man, so in the way that we attack our goals, like, oh, I want to do X, Y, Z at this particular competition, or I want to make it to this particular level when we're healthy, Right. Looking at your injuries and going, here's some goals for my injuries. I want to, like you said, I want to make it through. I want to adhere to the recovery process as best I can. That's my goal. Boom. So I want to do that. And then having goals within your injuries. And like you said, with the program that you uh, put out for your athletes, for your injured athletes that you work with, you're very intentional about being able to check. And you said having checkpoints for those athletes to be able to go, okay, guys, you know, you're doing a good job during this recovery process. But looking at the injury and going at it with the same zeal and ferocity that you go about your training to be able to accomplish goals there, doing the same thing with the particular injury. And so, yeah, that's a great point that you make there at the end there, just going at it with what you got and using that energy in a positive way. So, yeah, well, to wrap up here, I wanted to give anybody listening a chance to know where you're at and know how they can get to you and how they can find out more about your services and such. And so take it away. My website is injuredathletestoolbox.com. And along the top nav bar, you'll see a link for my services. And I generally work with people over the course of eight to 12 weeks, because by the time people come to me, they're usually in a pretty deep hole. And I say, you didn't get in that hole overnight. And so we can't get you out overnight. By the same token, if somebody has something that's more straightforward and a question that's easily answerable, then I work with people just a la carte meetings. And those are an hour and 25 minutes. I think that a lot more work can get done and the change happens working with people over time. But you can read all about my services and what I offer on that page. Since I offer several different services, I also offer a, at no cost and no commitment, a 30-minute consult where I can get to know the potential client to figure out what are the challenges you're facing, can I help you, and what services do you need? And so that's the starting point. And if you're interested in that, off of my services page, you can contact me or you can send me an email at Heidi at InjuredAthletesToolbox.com. And my first name is spelled H-E-I-D-I. So always feel free to, to drop me a line if you'd like. Fantastic. Well, I hope that you guys benefited, those of you listening from this podcast. I mean, Heidi has been a tremendous guest here and has given us so much valuable information that we can use if and probably with a slash when uh, we become injured and some things that we can do there. And then obviously, if you're walking through an injury right now, 
and you're kind of like, all right, this is just a lot to bite off right here. Well, then, like she said, go ahead and contact Heidi and see how you can begin partnering with her, because as you can see, she has a wealth of knowledge. And so, Heidi, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Mario. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to A Champion's Mind. As you continue to implement the content discussed here, you'll move closer and closer to performing at your utmost potential. Keep challenging yourself and don't settle until you achieve your goals. If you can't wait until the next episode to do some more work on your mental game, head over to utmostperformance.org where you can find some more content to consume. You can also like our Facebook page, Utmost Performance. We sincerely value your support as we continue to partner together to help you perform at your utmost.